Hi, we've got a jam-packed podcast from Curiosity.com to help you get smarter in just a few minutes. I'm Cody Goff. And I'm Ashley Hamer. Today, you'll learn about a quantum theory that says that time can flow backward, why the internet relies on huge undersea cables, and why people eat pufferfish, even though they're incredibly poisonous. Let's satisfy some curiosity on the poison-free Curiosity Daily. Hey, Cody, know what we haven't talked about in a while? Quantum physics. Oh, boy. Did you know there's a quantum theory that says that time can flow backward? I mean, I'm fine talking about quantum physics anytime it involves explaining how time travel might actually be a thing. Totally. Although it probably won't be for us. Oh. It's just quantum-y. But it might be, and that's why this is exciting science. Definitely. (laughs) So like we've talked about on this podcast before, quantum physics throws all the rules of classical physics out the window. And if a handful of physicists are right, quantum particles can affect the past just as easily as they affect the future. It's a theory known as quantum retrocausality. So one of the weirdest things about quantum physics is a principle called superposition. It says that a particle exists in multiple states at once until it's measured. That's why classical physics deals in solid numbers and quantum mechanics deals in fuzzy probabilities. But scientists don't know exactly why that is. On one hand, is it that we just don't have the right precision to understand the true states of individual particles so they look fuzzy? Or, on the other hand, is it just the way the quantum world is that everything is fuzzy until it's measured? In other words, what if the quantum world is hanging out in superposition? In 2012, a physicist named Hugh Price said that if that's really the case, then it opens the door to some interesting possibilities. See, in theory, All physical processes can run forward and backward. That's true in quantum physics and in classical physics. It's just that the second law of thermodynamics kind of puts a kibosh on the classical side of things. According to Price, if the quantum world really does allow multiple states and time can flow backward, then measuring the state of the particle today could technically affect its state in the past. This idea is a big one because it could solve the problem of quantum entanglement. The idea behind that is that the state of two particles can affect each other even if they're an infinite distance away from each other. But that would mean that information would be transmitted faster than the speed of light, which, as far as we know, is impossible. Think about this, though. If the current state of a particle could affect its state in the past, then maybe quantum entanglement isn't a problem of action over a long physical distance. Maybe, instead, it's a problem of action over time. That is, if time can run backward, a particle can take the action of being measured back in time to when it was linked with its partner. Trading faster than light travel for time travel doesn't sound like much of an improvement. But when it comes to the rules of quantum physics, it solves a lot of problems. This is admittedly a pretty fringe idea in the physics world, and it does come with caveats. But it's a pretty great example of thinking outside the box. And, you know, time travel. Great Scott. (laughs) Sometimes it feels like the internet works using magic, but that couldn't be any further from the truth. Well, it could probably be a little further from the truth. Have you heard of the International Cable Protection Committee? They actually exist to protect undersea cables from being damaged by anchors and nets. And that's because the internet relies on huge undersea cables, which, as it turns out, are kind of vulnerable. Wait, are you telling me that the internet is not in space? Not all of it, no. We're not... I mean, we talk about the cloud, we talk about Wi-Fi, everything's out in the air, and and you're saying that everything's under the sea. So Wi-Fi is how I'm connected to the internet right now, but the cloud kind of, yeah, is actually underwater. 
Wow. Yeah. Sebastian from The Little Mermaid had it right all the time. Imagine The Little Mermaid if they added undersea internet cables. (laughs) It really wouldn't be any different. As reported by The Conversation, we've laid lines of cable about as thick as a garden hose on the very bottom of the ocean floor. And they carry the world's internet, phone lines, even TV transmissions between continents at the speed of light, by the way. One cable can carry dozens of terabits of information every second. Only a few companies in the world lay these cables, and they're usually funneled along narrow paths. But when one is broken, you can say bye-bye to your data. In January, the nation of Tonga in the South Pacific was completely cut off from almost all cell phone and internet services when a 514-mile underwater cable broke. Officials said it could take up to two weeks to fix, which makes it an economic disaster for their tourism and other business communications. In today's world of Wi-Fi and the cloud, you might think undersea cables sound silly, but like I said, that's where the cloud is, under the ocean. Fiber optic cables are about as state-of-the-art as you can get, since they encode information using light. They're also faster and cheaper than satellites, which can be affected by weather changes, while the cables just keep humming along. Now, this story isn't all doom and gloom. These days, we cover cables in steel armor and bury them under the seafloor near shores, where there's the most threat from humans. And there's been very little sabotage in the history of undersea cables. The other nice thing is that information can just be rerouted a lot of the time. There's so much redundancy in places like here in America, for example, that you probably wouldn't even notice a single line breaking. But for other places like Tonga, one or two cables can be all they have. No matter where you live, it kind of makes you look at the ocean a little differently, doesn't it? Look at this stuff. Isn't it neat? Wouldn't you say my Twitter's complete? (laughs) (laughs) Today's episode is sponsored by On Deck. Listen up, small business owners. Getting access to capital is incredibly challenging and time-consuming for small business owners, right? Most traditional banks lack the technology and resources to truly understand a small business, and they would rather just lend to larger, more established businesses. On Deck is 100% committed to small business owners with fast, easy, and tailored financing. You can get funding in as fast as 24 hours with term loans up to $500,000 and lines of credit up to $100,000, none of which require business collateral. The application process is simple and it won't impact your personal credit. On Deck delivers some of the best customer service with their U.S.-based loan specialists and has an A-plus rating with the Better Business Bureau. If you are a small business owner and you need access to capital, go to ondeck.com curiosity right now. As a Curiosity Daily listener, you will receive exclusive access to a free consultation with one of their U.S.-based loan specialists. You can apply online or by phone and get approved in minutes. Go to ondeck.com slash curiosity, that's C-U-R-I-O-S-I-T-Y, for your free consultation now. Today in weird foods that are incredibly poisonous that people eat anyway. Okay, now hold on, listener. I know what you're thinking. You're thinking, okay, this is some weird, obscure food thing that is trendy in like one place. But this is like a really popular big cultural thing in a huge portion of the planet. I feel like if you said, what's one poisonous thing that's a delicacy, people would say this food. And that food is pufferfish. They're considered the second most poisonous vertebrate on Earth, right behind the golden poison frog of Colombia. And this isn't just some weird eccentric food from one or two places in the world. There are chefs who specifically train to cook this delicacy, especially in Japan, China, and other parts of Southeast Asia. That's because the flesh of a pufferfish is considered a delicacy in certain parts of the world. 
They're deadly because of a neurotoxin called tetrodotoxin. It's produced by bacteria that live inside the fish. Kind of like how bacteria in your gut produces all sorts of smelly substances. One pufferfish has enough of the stuff to kill 30 people. That's why people have to train for two years before they can call themselves fugu chefs. And even then, five people die every year from eating this stuff. It's not just the flavor that draws people in, though. Small doses of neurotoxins have been known to create a feeling of euphoria. So it's almost like you're eating something tasty and feeling like you've taken a drug all in one. Consider this story a public service announcement so you know the risks if you see pufferfish on the menu at a high-end restaurant. But consider this, too. In January 2019, researchers announced in the American Chemical Society's Journal of Agricultural and Food Chemistry that they'd identified the major compounds that make pufferfish so tasty. So who knows? Maybe someday we can all experience that delicious fish without the deadly side effects. Yes, waiter, I'll order the puffer fish. Could you please hold the deadly neurotoxins? They could kill me. Yes, <laughs> thank you. That's exactly how I'd order it, using that voice. Perfect. I mean, it's a fancy restaurant. That's how everyone's supposed to talk. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> Read about today's stories and more on Curiosity.com. Join us again tomorrow for the award-winning Curiosity Daily and learn something new in just a few minutes without the poison. I'm Cody Goff. And I'm Ashley Hamer. Stay curious. On the Westwood One Podcast Network. Ah!